0: Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for his kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Typically, we end our services by saying you are sent, so please don't leave, stay here. (laughs) It's not time to leave yet, we still have some time to dive into scriptures. I know that Adam is so grateful for you all, and the prayers and the encouragements that you have given to him and grace over the last week, uh, please keep sending them his way. We miss him around here, but we want him to have a great recovery at a good pace instead of speeding up the process and hurting himself worse. I am excited, though, to be with you all today and to get a chance to jump in to this gospel story in the book of John. The word gospel is this Greek word that is euangelion, and it means the good news. We're going to spend eight weeks talking about the greatest news you are ever going to hear in your life. This Jesus We're going to spend eight weeks uh, just walking through the Gospel of John all the way to Easter together to celebrate what God did on the cross through his Son and resurrecting him through the power of his Spirit. I'm excited about the season of time we're in over the next eight weeks. I do want to tell you a quick announcement before we dive into scriptures today just about Easter because we are so close to Easter. I want to let you all know what we're planning to do. We will have three services as of right now in this room and online if you join us. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Last year when we met, we gave out tickets if you were here last year. And if you're coming back this year, we want you to get tickets for it as well. Let me explain how this works before panic ensues, okay? You need tickets to come, but you don't have to have them with you. And here's why. We just want to know how many people are coming. Because here's the cool thing. God is blessing this place. It's not anything cool we're doing. It's all the work of His Spirit. And more and more people, and you've even noticed it, even in this room, and especially in the 11 o'clock service, are coming all the time. And our kids ministry is also growing like crazy. And between those two things, we want to make sure we are prepared for you and your friends, and your family, and all those you bring with you at Easter time. So what we're doing is giving out tickets so that way we can have an idea of who's coming when so we have enough seats for you. So you don't have to bring your ticket with you to get in. We're not going to have people out the door saying, don't have a ticket, get out of here. We're not going to do that. We just want to prepare. Prepare well so we can give God our best and give you our best as well. So over the next couple weeks, we will make announcements about where you can pick up those tickets, how many tickets we have, so that we can prepare well in this Easter season. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 2 this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Almighty God in heaven, thank you so much for your son. And the great pleasure it is to belong to your family. Lord, may we use every moment we're given to bring about the glory and honor of Jesus. Thank you so much for the precious gift of today. May we not waste the moments we're given, but use them all for your glory. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. And if you do not have a Bible, I would love for you to grab one of the ones in the chairs next to you, use it this morning, and take it home with you. It's our free gift to you. We'd love for you to have the Word of God in your hands. If you're joining us online and you don't have a Bible, you can send an email to james at cccj.church and we will make sure we connect with you and get you a Bible. We'd love for you to have one. John chapter 2, and we're going to actually be on page 725 and starting in verse 13 when we get there. And as you're turning there and getting ready, I want to kind of give you an idea of what has been happening leading up to the story we're in. John chapter 2 begins with Jesus being invited to a wedding of a family friend. He shows up, and they've run out of wine to celebrate the wedding festivities. What usually happens is it's a week-long celebration honoring the bride, honoring the groom and their families, and about halfway through it, they're out of wine, which was a very shameful thing in their culture. Jesus' mother was there, and so she did the only thing that she knew to do. She went to Jesus and said, fix it. And Jesus says, it's not time for me to do any powers yet. It's not, it's not my time, Mom. And she turns to the servants and says, just do whatever he says, and walked out, expecting him to obey. She knew her son pretty well, right? She turns to him, expects him to do something, and guess what? He does. There's some jars there that are usually used for ceremonial washings. And he turns the jars of water into jars of wine. And, and they dip a cup and they take it to the master ceremonies. And he takes a drink of it and he pauses everything. He says, usually, usually about this time of the whole ceremony, you bring out not the best wine. Because usually you serve the best wine first at the beginning of the week. Because by this point, we won't remember how good the wine is. But you chose to bring the best wine now. And the cool thing is, the wedding guests had no idea where it came from. Some of the disciples who were with Jesus kind of ish had an idea. The only people who really knew were the servants behind the scenes and Mary, the mother of Jesus. This was the beginning of his public ministry. And I don't know if you can really call it the beginning of a public ministry because it was kind of in private with only a few watching, but it's it's the beginning of his public ministry. Jesus does this amazing miracle. And then he travels back to Capernaum. It's kind of the home base of his ministry. He's staying with Peter and his brother uh, Andrew and his whole family, Peter's whole family, and time comes for the Passover to celebrate it together. And if you were a good Jewish person, you and your family, if you were close enough to Jerusalem, would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this week-long festival honoring God and what he had done for them in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. So Jesus gathers around with his family, he gathers around with his disciples, and they begin their journey toward Jerusalem at the beginning of Jesus' ministry to celebrate Passover. The Jewish people loved to sing songs of celebration to God. So it would have been a joyous, celebratory group, being loud and happy for their God who reigns. They would have sang psalms out of psalm. They would have sang psalms 120 through 135, 15 psalms of praise to the God, the Hallel psalms. And then they get to Jerusalem, and they should be expecting something. And instead of what they expected to find, they find something completely different. That's where we are today. John chapter 2, verse 13 says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. And when he walked into Jerusalem, what he expected to find was everything that he and his family had learned since he was a little kid. The traditions they had passed down, the the things that they celebrated together for hundreds of years. The Passover celebration was set up 1,400 years before Jesus. There's a lot of history to this festival. And what he expects to find is this. In Exodus chapter 12, we get the first glimpse of what a Passover is supposed to be like. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Well, what's going to happen was they were going to sacrifice these animals on behalf of God, bringing deliverance to them. You see, in the story of Exodus, God had by this point unleashed nine plagues against the Egyptians. Nine plagues, and this is going to be the tenth one. It's called the passing over, which is why they celebrate Passover. And you were to take the blood of the lamb that you slaughtered and put it over the door frames of your house. And when the angel of death came by and saw the blood, you would be delivered. You would be spared from the death that was to come. And we get to this part of the story in Exodus, and typically a lot of people think, man, God is so mean. But you've missed that nine times. Leading up to this point, nine times God had begged the Egyptians. He had pleaded with them to stop what they were doing and to let his people go and actually to join in in worshiping. He invited them to be a part of it. And Pharaoh was so hard-hearted, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. So God had to go to extreme lengths to wake Pharaoh up. And the cost was the firstborn male of all the Egyptians who didn't have the blood of the lamb covered over their house. So this was to be a celebratory thing for the Jewish people. They would come in to celebrate. God delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians to celebrate the deliverance from death and that they were spared and given life. Jesus expected to find joy. He expected to find songs. He expected to find people celebrating what God had done. And this gives us a good moment to pause And to be reminded that just like in the Old Testament, God wanted the best from his people, that Jesus also expects the best from his people. Jesus expects the best from his people. Everything we bring, and notice I didn't say our perfect stuff because none of us are perfect, but Jesus expects our best to be brought to him in worship. In the same God and his character we see in the Old Testament, we see mirrored in Jesus because they are one. They are the same person. When we see this characteristic of God that he expects the best from his people, we also see that in Jesus. Jesus expects the best from his people. So he goes in expecting something amazing to happen and instead he doesn't find a joyous song. Instead, he doesn't find people worshiping God and fixing their eyes on him. Instead, he finds a ruckus. Finds the very opposite thing of bringing glory and honor to God. He finds a scandal in the temple. This is what he finds. John chapter 2, verse 14. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And you make it to this point in the Scriptures, and you're like, well, that doesn't seem that bad. Unless you read some Jewish history, some context outside of the Bible from other Jewish leaders at the time who were writing about the history of the Jewish people, and you realize that this is what Jesus saw. This was during the time of Annas, the high priest. And Annas has sanctioned uh, a marketplace bazaar for for the people of Israel. So they would come in, and instead of seeing worship to God, you would go through all these marketplace things to buy things. And you would bring your lamb, and what would happen is you would walk up with your lamb, and you're saying, hey, this is my sacrifice. And the priest at the temple would say, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. What do you mean it's not good enough? I, I followed the Old Testament. I followed what I was commanded to do. They it's, like, it's not good enough. But don't worry. We happen to have across the way a guy that you can buy a better offering from. But we will not accept this one. And so they would exchange their offering. They would go over to the people selling the lambs. They're going to selling the goats and other things, and they would ask them for that. And the people there could do whatever they wanted to do. The vendors could choose to do whatever they wanted to do, which means they could sell you whatever price they wanted to sell you at. And what they would do sometimes even, on top of just ripping you off, is sometimes they'd say, oh man, I know you have that kind of coin. I don't accept that kind of coin here. I actually accept only temple coins here. You have to go exchange those, your coins, at a high rate, exchange those, and then bring back whatever you have left over, and we'll figure out a deal. So they do that. These people who have saved money to spend a whole week in Jerusalem were losing money really fast just to worship their God and to have their sins covered over. And so what happens is they would exchange things and then the very sacrifice they brought that wasn't good enough, the priest would give it to the vendors to sell it to the next people. It was a scam in the name of God. Jesus walks into that, and then what we're about to read makes a lot more sense in just a second, right? What we're about to read makes a lot more sense why Jesus would be so moved and motivated by justice to do stuff. Because you see, Jesus fights for his people. I don't know if you knew that, but he does. God fought for his people in the Old Testament, and like I said before, God's characteristic in the Old Testament, same characteristics in Jesus. He fights for His people. And God doesn't put up with his people being taken advantage of. God doesn't put up with his name being slandered across the people who are being taken advantage of, right? People who are frustrated at the priest because the priest said that God wants me to do this, my sacrifice isn't good enough. It was in the name of God, in God's house, but it really actually wasn't sanctioned by God at all. All God wanted was the best their best. And he told them how to do it, and these people were taking advantage of them. But Jesus fights for his people, and this is how we see Jesus do that. Starting in verse 15, so Jesus made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of Yeah, sorry. Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written in the Old Testament. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus doesn't put up with his people being taken advantage of. And this cool thing is actually quoted by John here. This zeal for your house will consume me. It's an Old Testament passage that was written in Hebrew, but John writes it. In the Greek language, this, this whole Greek language. And as he writes in the Greek language, the word for house there is not a building. It's not a physical location. It's actually the word that you might know if you're around our church very often is oikos. Oikos is a Greek word we use around here for our home groups or small groups, and it just means extended family. So another way you could read this is zeal for your people. Your family, your household will consume me. Jesus was tired of his people being taken advantage of by the people that were supposed to be shepherding them, by the people who were supposed to be taking care of them in the name of God. And it moved Jesus to do something about it. Because, see, Jesus is not just some cheerleader on the side that goes, "woohoo, I got here. He's a warrior who fights for you. He always has. He's fighting for you now, and he always will fight for you. And this is where we see a third kind of theme through this passage come up, and that this, this that Jesus moves to his people. Jesus moves to his people. You see, God has always been for people. He's always been. At the beginning of time, God created a perfect world. And in that perfect world, he created human beings in his image, male and female. He breathed his spirit into them, and the human beings had life. And we got to have this awesome relationship with God until human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against John, against God. So what happens is, from Genesis chapter three, we have this, or two, we have this awesome relationship with God. and in Genesis chapter three, we say, we don't want it, God. We reject God and his plans and his ways, but God still doesn't give up on us. Because he created us to be with him, to have a relationship with him. And so the relationship he had in the beginning in the garden, he still wanted with us, even though we chose to rebel against him. So the first being to make a sacrifice on behalf of the sin of people in Genesis was God. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Eve. God made a sacrifice on behalf of sin for the sins of Adam and Eve so that they could be closer to God, so that way the relationship with him could be restored. And it's not just something that God did with Adam and Eve. It's actually something he did with his people in the Old Testament as the Israelites were wandering in the desert he gave them in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy ways to sacrifice so that they could have their sins atoned for or covered over so that way they could be with God. And when they were doing that properly, there was this thing called the tabernacle. It sat right in the middle of their camp, and God's Spirit would dwell in that place. God wanted to be with his people. And so he provided a way through sacrifice for that to happen. But because Jesus bears the characteristics of his father in heaven, it's not just something that happens to Adam and Eve or the Israelites. In John chapter 3, the next chapter, Jesus said something that maybe you've heard before. He says that this is how Jesus moves closer to his people, how God tried to dwell with us. He said it this way, God loved the world so much. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. That's how God moved in closer. That's how Jesus moves in closer to be with his people. Because Jesus longs to be with you. He is for you. He is a God of compassion who is moved to do everything he can to be with his creation. Side note. Around here, our mission is to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We believe that happens by coming to Jesus. There's a reason for it. Just like we've talked about right now, coming into the presence of the almighty God. Thriving as his family and going on mission. It's something that's been there since the beginning of time. God always desires us to come into his presence. And it's something as his followers we long to do well. And that's why we're committed to it. But then the Jewish leaders had this ruckus happen in their midst. Flipping of tables, loud things happening, cattle being driven out, and they couldn't just sit by and watch it happen. So this is what happens. John chapter 2, verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, the Jewish leaders. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? In other words, they have been dishonored in front of all these people, and they wanted to deal with Jesus, but they had a problem. And the problem is they had all these crowds who had gathered for the Passover watching everything that was happening. And some of those people like Jesus, probably applauded Jesus for doing what he was doing. And so they know, well, we can't do anything about him now. But not only did they have the crowds watching, they had other Jewish leaders watching. What are they going to do? And if they don't do it right, they're going to shame all the other Jewish leaders as well. And they also had a third party watching everything that happened. You see, the Romans were in charge. The Romans had a garrison literally built right next door to the temple. Because the Romans loved bringing peace at any cost, even if that meant the sword. And the Romans were terrified of large gatherings of people worshiping other gods than their gods. And the Jewish people had one God they served, and they gathered in mass quantities at Passover. They were afraid of a rebellion, so they would actually garrison more troops than normal, waiting and watching. And do you think, with them being next door, hearing the ruckus next door, people shouting and clapping and cows and sheep, do and, you think they didn't pay attention? They were watching. <laughs> All eyes in the temple turned to Jesus And these leaders. And they asked for a sign. Jesus, prove to us that you have the authority to do this because this is our temple. We're in charge of this place. Where's your card that says you get to do this? And this is how Jesus responds. He responds by saying, destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. The Jewish leaders replied, what? What? Basically, essentially. What? It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you are going to raise it in three days? What kind of person are you? And I love, John wants to make sure we don't miss Jesus' point. So he makes sure to write in here, this is what Jesus means. So he says, but the temple Jesus has spoken about, Was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, Jesus was going to do something miraculous. If you fast forward the story from this first Passover, about three years, Jesus is also in Jerusalem for a Passover. People by the crowds were hailing him as king. He came in riding on a donkey. And then a few short days later, there was a trial led by some of these same leaders. He accused Jesus of blasphemy against the God. How dare you call yourself God? Took them to the Roman officials, Pilate. And said, execute this man. And he said, by what grounds has he done against the Roman Empire that we could do this? Back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Pilate washes his hands of the situation and says, just do it. And they take Jesus outside of Jerusalem to a hill nearby and they crucify him. Three years later. From this story. And then something amazing happens in the temple. You see, the temple had the most holy of holies right in the middle of it. And this is the place where God's spirit would dwell amongst his people. And in the holy of holies was this ginormous curtain. One that was so hard to rip or tear that no human being could do it. That's actually what it said in the Old Testament. Not even just the New Testament. Old Testament said that. And then it says, after Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom in two. And it makes me wonder if some of those same people who are sitting here three years earlier listening to Jesus talk about something new he was going to do, destroying a temple and rebuilding it in three days. It makes me wonder three days later when Jesus rose from the dead if they started having flashbacks to this moment about what Jesus said he was going to do. See, even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he knew the mission. He knew where he was going and at what cost it would take to get there. Because, see, at the beginning, we had the separation from God, and God wanted to dwell with his people, and then the closest God could get was the Holy of Holies. But God had to make this curtain. That's as close as he could get to his people. The curtain was there to protect you and me and those who'd walk in to the Holy of Holies because God is so holy that when sin enters his presence, it's eradicated. Which means that if you're filled with sin and your sins aren't atoned for, you also died. There were stories of priests who would walk in not offering the sacrifices properly to be washed and clean. They would die. That's why they would tie a rope around the priest as they sent them in there, but just in case they died so we could pull their bodies out. Like, this is a big deal because God is so holy. He's not vindictive. He's not mean. He's just so holy and by his nature, sin is eradicated when you walk into his presence. But, The holy of holies wasn't as close as God wanted to get. He longed for what he had in the beginning. He wants to be in your life. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. He died for you so that way he could eradicate your sin, so that way you wouldn't have to die for the weight of your sin. He died for you and was resurrected from the grave so he could put his spirit in you. So here's the cool thing. There's no room we have to go to anymore. There's no special building we have to go to anymore. God dwells in you. Jesus and God had one mission from the beginning of time, and that was to be as close to his people as possible, and he accomplished that through his sacrifice. On the cross. And that's what we celebrate. When we gather together. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate just like they had done at Passover. That there was a lamb. Sacrificed on their behalf for their sins. Jesus is your lamb. Died once and for all. For your sin. That's the good news. And that's our mission. To proclaim that news. Every time we gather. If you have never followed Jesus or surrendered to his kingdom, today I want to invite you to join his family, to have your sins washed over, and to be eradicated by the blood of Jesus so that way you can walk into the presence of God. You can have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. I invite you to that today. How we do that around here is that we are lowered into some water for the forgiveness of our sins and raised to new life. It's a symbolic gesture of what God has done in your life and in your heart. We do that every time we invite someone to join the family of God. And if that's the decision you need to make today, a next step you need to make, then I want to invite you, as we sing a song in just a moment, to go out these doors to the next steps table and talk to James Billings, our discipleship minister. What does it look like to surrender everything? to a good and gracious God who wants to draw near to you. If you're joining us online, you can send us a message or you can leave a comment, and I would love to talk to you you later. I will get back to you personally. We'd love to talk about next steps you can take in Jesus. But for those of us who have been following Jesus, we've already surrendered to his kingdom and his ways and his plans, I want to offer you a challenge. Bring your best to God. Again, not your perfectness, because there's no such thing. You can't do that. Bring your best in worship to God, whatever your best is. My best is different than your best. Stop playing the comparison game. Bring your best and give it to God. Don't rob others of their best. When people bring things in here, don't look down on it. Be like, oh, my best is better than your best. We don't do that here. We honor each other. So don't rob others of their opportunity to bring their best as well. And accept Jesus into your life and the goodness and the grace that He has for you, and be a beacon of hope to other people who need to know their God loves them and has made a way to come into His presence through His Son. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand and sing one more song together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God in heaven we are so grateful for your son and the chance we've been blessed with today to come into your presence. Father, may we use all of our moments that we are given to surrender to your kingdom so we can be a people who bring glory to you by being disciples who make more disciples. Father, may we use our moments to come into your presence, thrive as your family, and go on mission for your kingdom. It's your name we pray, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps of following Jesus, please email me at kenan at cccj.church, and I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.